podcast this week, Craig Roberts drops by to talk about Pro Evo and Red Oaks. But mainly, it has to be said, Pro Evo. While Reacher said nothing, but thankfully his creator, Lee Child, said everything. All that and more on the movie podcast that could beat Billie Jean King at tennis. <laughs> yeah, sure. Now, okay. now. No. Right now. No. She's like mega old. No, she would absolutely beat you. I wouldn't give her a racket. I mean, I think she'd still beat you. How about she doesn't have any uh, any balls either? Uh, I mean, but how so do you... So I've got, uh, I've, got I've got the racket, I've got the balls. Yeah. Billie Jean King. Is she anywhere near the tennis court? No. I should have... <laughs> I should have specified that. She's I still not, think she'd win. We're in a different place. I'm on a tennis court. She's at home having dinner. I, I, I still see it going to her. I mean, it might take her three sets in that case, but... Three yeah. sets, at least it take her to three sets, right? <laughs> okay, good. Excellent. We've established it. I would win. That's not what I said. That's pretty much what you said. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. You've already heard one of those lethal colleagues trampling all over my beautifully written intro. It is, of course, our supernatural geek, our Hamilton, our Hamilton head. What's the name for Hamilton fans? Helen O'Hara. I don't, I, I don't who, who know. It is. is it Ham? Is it Ham? Ham Tony? I have no idea. How is there no name ham, for these? It's probably people? just Ham fans, isn't it? I don't know. Ham fans? That's terrible. That's a terrible. Name. We need better names. And next up, we have our West Wing guru, James Dyer. Hello. Hello. Is there a name for West Wing fans? Uh, yes, Wingnuts. Really? Genuinely? Mm, yeah. That's a good name. But there's nothing for Hamilton fans. Well, I said I didn't know that there was. That doesn't mean there isn't. You know everything there is to know about Hamilton. Hammerfiles. That would, I mean, it would, yeah, yeah. Hammerheads. I got one. Hamiltones. Ah, right, okay. reflecting its musical components. Uh, yeah, you see? Components. You, see? Uh, you, you see got what it? You did there, yeah. You got it? I'm totally on top of things. Yes. Oh, um, Fameltons, by the way. Oh, that's Apparently. a terrible name. Fameltons. You're a terrible. Who came up with that? I don't know, the Fameltons. Billie Jean King, no doubt. If you don't know what that Billie Jean King reference is, by the way, there's a film coming out this week called Battle of the Sexes, in which, about a historical battle on the tennis court between a man... Bobby Bob, Riggs. Bobby Riggs, and a woman... Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King. The one that Michael Jackson sang about. The one that Michael Jackson (laughs) sang about. uh, The king of all the Billie Jeans. Uh, And so I'm not just randomly challenging Billie Jean King, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, to a tennis match. Okay. In fact, to be clear, you're not t- challenging her to a tennis match at all. You're challenging yeah. her to stay at home and stay have home, dinner as far away from me as you possibly can. While you try to play tennis, I would be terrified of Billie Jean King as she is now on a tennis court. I just wanted to be sure because some people might be going, "What the hell are they talking about?" Uh, so just some people mm. think of, think of all the Hamiltons. That's a terrible name. Hamiltons. There are worse names. Hamiltons is the best way. What to do get. they call Supernatural fans? Oh, I don't know. There must be a thing. There, there definitely is. Well, I know Super Hulock is a fa- is a thing. What? Like there's a there's there's a, a, a gigantic kind of um, bit of the pie not pie chart Venn diagram where the supernatural fandom, Doctor Who fandom, and Sherlock fandom kind of cross over, and those are the Super Hulocks. I do know that. It's just another word for nerd. I don't spend well. Yes, but none of us can speak about nerds. I just I don't find I don't spend enough time on Tumblr to know all the fandom names. Correctly, oh, I I think this is something we should find out for for the next podcast. All right, what I will is, try to do. I, I may it, even do a, some live googling it, during this one. Oh oh, uh, 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 I don't know. What do you do when you combine can combine Winchesters with dogging? I don't. It's like, I, oh, I've no, got nothing. Pr- I've no, got nothing. stop. Win a lot, Chesters. 
That's <laughs> good. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Win a lot. Because yeah. of the dog in you. Yeah. No, please stop. Oh, you mean dogging as in when you go to a, a lay-by and you have sex with strangers? Sure, why not? It's mostly SPN family. Win so the file. No, that's a whole different terrible. thing. That's like a whole different... That's like a fanfic thing for people who do that so kind of fanfic. Say. Weird how Helen uh, professes to have no knowledge of what they call Hamilton fans and Supernatural fans. Really, Helen? Really? Helen, former president of Babsock. <laughs> yeah. I was not the president, and I'm pretty sure someone somewhere has records to prove it. I see through your lies. Okay. All right, should we have a question? Please, God, Yes. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. We have two questions, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to read them both out, and then you guys decide which one we do. Sure. All right? Because usually I have, like, a not so much a script, but a running order that I put together. Mm. But I was away this week, I, you know, in Los Angeles, <gasps> and I was too busy hobnobbing with the hoi polloi to, uh, to, to do anything. So, uh, so here we go. We're winging it a little bit. Could I just say, it's the SPN family. I just, just said that. She just said that. I wasn't listening because I was Googling it. Oh, my God. Can I, mans- can I mansplain <laughs> supernatural fandom to you? Literally, did you have this conversation? I just wasn't listening. You are yes. everything that is wrong with the patriarchy. I really am, aren't I? I've been I should, saying I it should, for I years. should hastily pen an apology to put on the internet and then <laughs> quietly step down from my position. Uh, you were sorry if you offended anyone, right? Yeah. I was, I literally, I've been Googling it. Was, it, it was a different time five minutes ago. And <laughs> it was. There were different rules. <laughs> and he's learned from his mistakes. You can't oh ignore God. anything these days. It's terrible. You've Helen-splained. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awful. <laughs> All right, so we have two questions. One, they're both on Twitter, because uh, I couldn't be bothered looking at Facebook. Uh, one is from at Melchet, right? Uh-huh. Melchet, as in Black Adder. Excellent native cockney wit. <laughs> With it being generally accepted that the DCEU is stumbling from one crappy movie to the next with the exception of... Oh, my God, I've just realised this is a 280-character tweet. Can I just say for a second? Can I just oh, say, here we go. No. Your holy war Can against I just 280 characters is mental. Uh, we did a tweet yesterday from the Empire account that was 280 characters. That was Nick, but I, I, I fully uh, support that tweet. What happened? No. He tweeted using the allotted number of characters that Twitter have given us to express ourselves. Yes, but Twitter, as we've established, is run by idiots, so well, they don't know what they're doing. As is Empire, so it actually works out well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling our lady and mistress that <laughs> you said that. A In 280 characters, dunces. I hope. Yeah, Great right. book. Anybody no, who hasn't read A Confederacy of Dunces... Highly recommend. Someone it. told me to read it and said it was about me, and I'm not sure that was a compliment. <laughs> was I have not read it. I will not read it, but I suspect I would fare badly from that comparison. That was not a compliment. <laughs> just, just same thing happened when I gave you uh, the Big Bang season theory. Uh, yeah, and said, "Oh, you should watch this show, the Big Bang, the Big season, Bang theory. season theory, <laughs> Big Bang theory season eight. Yeah. Box and you said this is about you. I was yeah. like, "Oh, thanks. That's who's this Shel- Sheldon? Who? Sheldon? Who?" Yeah, no, that's true. Um, you definitely yeah. are, Sheldon. Um, you're about to see. You're starting this question with with the assumption that all DC films are crappy. We'll just kick off the other even, holy war. I haven't even finished the which uh, is raging on our Facebook no, 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 page no, no, as no, we no, speak. No, no. Uh, these are not my words. These are the words of Melody. But can I just say that the 280 character tweet, not on my watch, that happened is wrong yesterday with you? when I was in the air, I landed to find some sort of hate crime on the Empire Twitter feed. Uh, was to say that we uh, we are doing a Blade Runner 2049 spoiler special podcast. You have asked for it in your tens. And we have responded. <laughs> we have heard. We have heard your cries. And so the reason we didn't do a Blade Runner 2049 spoiler special, I said this at the time, was because Denis Villeneuve was not available for interview. Or he was, but not to talk about spoiler stuff. And now with the distance of a, of a couple of months, mm. he is happy to talk about the stuff. The Hurrah. interview happened today. We are holding it. 
to tie in with the uh, film's DVD and Blu-ray release uh, sometime in January, though. That might change, but just let you know, it's coming, so if that's something we're looking forward to, it is happening. The best part of this was, of course, you wanted it to be a secret that was coming, so Nick, in many ways, spoiled (laughs) the spoiler special. And that's uh, that's a special kind of... a 280-character I know, he's uh, upset you on every possible level, hasn't he? I feel like we're already, like, quite a long way off this topic, which, if I remember correctly, about 15 minutes ago, was a question... Oh, yeah. Melchard asks, uh, with it being generally accepted that the DCEU is stumbling from one crappy movie to the next with the exception of Wonder Woman. Correct. Not my words, Melchard's words, but Uh words in this case I happen to agree with. Which DC movie character do you think could make a seamless switch and be a fit in the MCU? Mm. The answer, of course, being none of them because they're rubbish. Question one. That's question one. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a joke. Don't jump the gun. Sorry. Question two. At Richard underscore White underscore one. Would award season be improved if performances based on well-known real-life figures were deemed ineligible? Would award season be improved? Okay. What's so happening here? Are we having a reader vote? Are no, we having... Which one do you guys want to tackle? Can we not do both? Quick Let's vote. do both. Let's do both. Let's start with the DC one. We can't have two questions. I feel that we have now maligned the DC EU. Two questions is arbitrarily doubling the, the, the limit that yes, a company has imposed upon a, a, a structure, okay? <laughs> That's not that, that doesn't fly. Chris well, will not compute. Today is super chaotic, isn't it? Um, I think we should do both, but we'll do them quickly. Okay, in so, 140 characters. G- go with your ridiculous <laughs> point you're about to make. No, go I ahead. was just going to say that we've taken a lot of shit recently for being anti DC, and this feels like it would be feeding into it to accept the premise that they are hobbling from one shit film to the next. So maybe we should examine uh, that premise and say no, no, they're not hobbling. But that wasn't the premise, James. The premise of the question was asking which character would work if they transferred, if they got a free transfer uh, to go from the DCEU to the demonstrably and objectively better (laughs) what? MCU. Yeah. You're gonna, you know you're going to get home and Batman's going to be in your living room. He's going <laughs> to dangle you out the window and I'm Batman. Yeah, it'd be great. Be like um, I think I think the answer is Wonder Woman, like possibly the Flash, but like one of the ones that isn't totally. Depressing. Well, it, yeah, but it's a tonal thing, isn't it? How? Yes. I think the Flash actually. I think the Flash tonally is the only one that maybe wouldn't. No, go. Wonder Woman would have a great time chatting with Captain America. <laughs> this is this and, is a window may- into your <laughs> fantasy life. I that really didn't might need. Might be. It's possible. I admit nothing. <laughs> Which maybe by itself is some kind of admission. Just just chatting, Helen. Yes, just yeah. chatting. Oh my god, you're so impure. She's, got, she's got a thing for handsome men called Steve, played by men called Chris. Will it be? Would it be? Do I? No, not. You, oh, I Diana. see, Diana. Yeah. yeah. But sure. you also have a thing, don't you, for men called Steve, played by men called Chris? I, I like both of the characters. There must be more than one, two. There must be more than two. <laughs> anyway, sure. Uh, Wonder Woman says Helen James. Flash. I'm just saying Flash. Hang on, what are we saying? Are we still talking about the transfer? Or are we talking about fanciable? Because I mean, fine either way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Where's the question gone? What are we even talking about? Fla- the DC question. Yes. Which character he, he, from the, the DC? No, he was, I you're answered saying, first. Saying the Flash. Flash. He also, he Sorry, I wasn't, I wasn't listening. <laughs> uh, Were you Googling it at the I time? I was Googling it, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, see, those are, both, those are both good answers. I don't think I can, I can top either of those. He and really? Quicksilver could, like, run around together. Well, no, he couldn't because Quicksilver's dead. Well, is he, though? Yes, yeah, he's super dead. <laughs> but he's dead in... Is he dead in both? 
No. Yeah, but we're talking about the MCU, not the other well, ones. I know you are, but it gets oh, very James, confusing. Don't, no, don't, don't make me do my spreadsheet again. This is, this is like, I, I, I actually did a talk about this the other day for a... Com- for uh, people who weren't like, please, who no. is this woman talking to us about comic books? Get out, please. All I want is more by train. There is a fantastic uh, improv group called Do Not Adjust Your Stage who do a show called Wonder Camera where they get somebody along to talk about a topic for 10 minutes and usually it's like some proper academic and that who person has... didn't show up and so you stepped so in so I stepped in yeah t- and talked about superheroes um, and then they improved a very funny comedy show on the back of that but we were talking about just that point so there wow. you go anyway and I, and I didn't get into the X universe either because it gets too confusing so then of course some smarty pants put his hand up at the end and was like what about Deadpool and I'm like I like Deadpool what about it Sounds amazing. It was great. Okay, so here's a question, um, here's a question yes, okay. which is completely unrelated, no, but that hasn't stopped us thus far. We've thrown um, the rule book out the window. So, so Josh Brolin is playing Thanos and also Cable, both mm-hmm. Marvel, but only one MCU. Do he you is. think Deadpool is meta enough to reference the MCU? Absolutely. Yes. And do you think 100%. he will? Yeah, um, I thought that. Probable. Yeah. I thought that. That's all I had to say. We can okay. move on now. Okay. Great. Mm. Uh, so yes, I, I, I second Wonder Woman and I second the Flash. Although I think there's a couple of the other characters who might fit. In. You couldn't have Superman in the MCU because he's just too damned powerful. Yeah, but that's the same problem they have in the DCEU. Oh, sorry. Oh, come on um, now. We'll get into that in the uh, Justice League spoiler special, Helen. Will we? Oh, yeah. Because that's definitely going to happen. All right, second question, very, very quickly, yes. from Richard White. Uh, and he asks, would award season be improved to performances based on well-known real-life figures were deemed ineligible? I don't... Mm, I don't know. I mean, you'd be... Ruling out a big swathe of Oscar contenders right there. Um, sometimes you get really interesting characters based on real life people because some of these stories you would not make up because nobody would believe them. So you'd lose out on some some real texture in the race potentially. Just change the names. Does this mean that my campaign for mm. Aaron Sorkin's Molly's Game would be disqualified? In which case, I'm not in favour. It uh, it would be disqualified, would. yes. Yeah. But then all you'd have to do is just change the name to Millie's Game. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Do that. There you go. So the premise here is that biopics are boring, essentially. In, Oscar, in, in an Oscar season setting, it's boring to have biopics in the running. That's the conceit here. I'm, I'm guessing not so much boring as in perhaps that rush you get every year of actors just trying their bloody hard act. Look at me acting so much. But, like, would it, would it really change anything? Because, I mean, I think The Revenant was based on a true story, but... DiCaprio's character was not particularly informed by well a real known. character. He yeah, but, well but he known. wasn't, do you know what I mean? He mm. wasn't like talking about, oh, I, I watched footage of him and, you know, adopted no, his manner, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So you still get the acting, frankly, nonsense from characters <laughs> like that, where it hasn't been based particularly closely on a real person. Mm. So it doesn't help award season. Actually, and if we if we had Millie's game, she would still be talking about the same stuff, wouldn't she? Uh, in her awardsy interviews and her awardsy campaigning and so on. If I don't know, Jessica Chastain, we're in the running. I can't say. I don't think because I think I'm embargoed on the film. If I've seen it, which I can't say. Is it? Is it? Oh, is the embargo not lifted yet? Oh, maybe it has. Oh, right. In which case, no, no, it may not. It may. It may not. It may not have lifted. <laughs> we may still be embargoed. I wasn't sure. When's the film out? January first, I believe. Okay, so it probably is still embargoed. Anyway, so in that hypothetical situation, which is hypothetical, um, we wouldn't 
I don't I don't know how the conversation would really differ, especially if all you were doing was changing names. And I think what you're talking about here is the fact that award season seems to prioritise the kind of fairly serious leanings of biopics mm-hmm. over, for example, great comedic performances, great, you know, uh, genre performances of all sorts. And that is a totally good point, but maybe a different question. Also, some well-known people have incredible stories that deserve to be told on the big screen. So don't necessarily disqualify them because of that. But I can see what he means. I mean, do we need, for example, three Churchills in a year, which, you know, things like that. Right, if you want to have your uh, question or questions read out on the Empire Podcast, you can do so via a number of methods. We're on Twitter, as uh, this week's questioners found out to their horror. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast uh, to help us see it, I guess. And we're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine. And you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, time now for our first guest on the Empire Podcast. And he is a fast-rising young Welsh actor, writer, director, sickeningly precocious. Also, apparently, one of the world's top pro-evolution soccer players, as I found out. Honestly, when I was his age, I was just... Please don't tell us. Was it awkward when you told him you were more of a FIFA man? Yeah, 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 as you'll probably hear, unless I cut it out. But uh, he is, of course, Craig Roberts, who rose to fame with Submarine, popped up recently in the likes of 22 Jump Street and Bad Neighbours. Uh, he's directed a film already, Just Jim, uh, at the precocious age of just 12. And uh, he is the star of the outgoing Amazon sitcom Red Oaks. Its third and final season can now be seen on Amazon Video. And Craig came into the studio recently to talk to me about that. And as you'll find out, a great many other things besides. Had a lot of fun with this one? Hope you guys do too. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Red Oaks, Craig Roberts. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, Not a problem. Uh, Usually I start off uh, podcasts saying to people, hey, how's your jet lag? How are you doing? You all right? Are you okay? Coming in from LA, New York? How, How do you deal with it? Because I don't have any other small talk. Nah, yeah, I don't have... I mean, I do have uh, constant jet lag, I feel. I'm always tired, <laughs> right. probably. Why? Because just you're burning the midnight oil, burning the candle at both ends? What's what's the deal? Yeah, I don't sleep. I drink too much coffee. Okay. So I find it hard to sleep. All right. Is that because you want to stay awake? Because you want to experience life at four in the morning? <laughs> Why do you drink too much coffee? Addiction, Chris. Addiction. Pure it's addiction. It's a terrible thing, Greg, isn't it? Is. It is. It's Co- awful. Coffee's amazing, though. You see, I, I'm not. I'm not a big coffee fan. But I'm sure that's what every addict says. Yeah, uh, you might be your first taste of coffee though. That first hit, and then it's like a, it's like a gateway drink, isn't it? To uh, so you'll be doing frappuccinos. Then you you, you lynch <laughs> and you're in the hole. <laughs> you're doing mockers soon enough. You're hanging in the doorway of a Starbucks, just waiting for them to open. Come on, man, just one more, just one more. Uh, so because you're not jet lagged, I'm not jet. I came from Wales. I don't yeah. live on that side of anything. Okay, but did, yeah, because obviously your career since uh, Submarine I, has taken you to the States for, for work purposes. More so than here, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. have you, you've, you've lived out there. You've lived in the States, lived in LA, I presume? Yeah, I lived in LA for a bit. I did a movie called Bad Neighbours, which was quite a big, sh- a long shoot, and I lived there for a long period with that. Okay. Um, Where you played Ass Juice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did that. I did that. Yeah, um, that was quite fun. That was crazy. That was my first experience of anything in the states, and I was okay. such a big like Seth Rogen fan. So that was kind of really cool. What's uh, his What's his laugh like in real life? It's very cool. They yeah. don't. They don't do like they just hang around and tell right. jokes. They don't really film much. 
<laughs> it's like it's just it's a, a, yeah, hanging about. However long the film is, is however much they filmed. Is that basically what that's what pretty much happens? it? All yeah. Right. <laughs> so that, that was my first experience of of, um, of doing that, which was pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. So how did that come about? So after after Submarine comes out a few years ago, which oh, Jesus, this is gonna make me feel old. Two thousand and ten. Makes now. me feel. Yeah, I know. It does, does make you feel old. You're still. You're twenty six. I think. 20, you think? <laughs> How much coffee have you had today? Can you, can you just four. Count what? I've had four coffee. <laughs> I've had four coffee. Four coffee. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, is this all for one person? No. <laughs> this is for four people. It's fine. <laughs> so, so we've established you're roughly in the 26 region. I think, yeah. Submarine, um, Submarine uh, comes out years ago, which makes me feel really old. Because I remember you coming to the Empire offices with Richard Iowati and, you know, for, a, for a, an Empire web chat, which yeah. clearly from your face you don't remember. I do remember go- coming. I think it was Yasmin as well. Yes, that's right. Yasmin was there Yasmin too. Came yeah. In. yeah, yeah. I've been acting longer than I look. It feels. <laughs> do you look long? No, very short. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I remember coming into that. Yeah, I mean that was a while. Yeah, a long, long time ago. Right. Um, and after that, it kind of uh, what? What did I do? Yeah, I, I got the like bad neighbors thing through a self tape. I just right. put something on tape for it, and then did a bunch of auditions and. That happened, and then I kind of, I just got on well with those guys, and then I think I did 22 Jump Street after that because Jonah had seen mm. an early version of Bad Neighbors or something and asked if I wanted to do something. Oh, that's interesting. Because from the outside looking in, it looks like Submarine blew up, and then the states called immediately. But it wasn't quite like that for They've you. never called. They've no, never called? No, yeah, do no. they leave any messages? Do they I'm Skype? the one calling, and they do not answer, it seems. Uh, <laughs> They've got caller ID. <laughs> like, oh, that Greg Roberts guy again. <laughs> Coffee man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's four in the morning, he's hopped up in frappuccinos. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, no, they don't, didn't call. Um, so I, after, yeah, it did kind of do, it did a lot. I mean, it did so much for me. Like, it, right. it really helped. Um, and there were cool things that come from it. Like, I did a... After I did like a Tim Burton music video, which was yeah. cool, um, which was bizarre and amazing. Um, so yeah, cool things came from it, and it really did help me. Without it, I'd still be at, uh, at home playing Xbox. <laughs> you could play Xbox there as well. No, it's hard. I mean, yeah, I love it so much. Like coffee. <laughs> if I do it, I just don't stop. <laughs> What's your Xbox? Uh, do you, are you a gamer right now? Are you playing any games right now? What's... I, no, I, I no. In just fear of losing touch with life, I I, I um I used to play Pro Evolution Soccer a lot. Oh really? Yeah. I, my calling card was I was ninth in the world on it. You're kidding me. Yeah, I was actually. I mean, I know only ten people play Pro Evo compared yeah. <laughs> to, to FIFA, but <laughs> there used there used to be a lot more people playing it. Um, right. But yeah, I uh, yeah, I had like a seventy-two game win win streak. You're kidding me! That's amazing. I had no life, <laughs> and, and a lot of coffee. See, I I fancy myself uh, as a FIFA player, but I know I couldn't take on FIFA's great like, proper people on FIFA. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I can I can beat nephews. I could <laughs> I could beat you know like maybe I could go I could go out here right now, grab someone off the street and beat them and beat them. Sure, but. I couldn't be if you're ninth in the world in Pro Evo. Yeah, but I've not played it in like six years, so I'm I'm not that anymore. The controls haven't changed. It's pointless me saying it. It's pretty much the same thing. So why Pro Evo and not FIFA? I realize this is not discussing Red Oaks. We'll get that in a second. <laughs> don't, don't worry about that. That's fine. I'm holding that in reserve. Yeah. <laughs> why why Pro Evo and not FIFA? My friends just played uh, Pro Evo for some reason. I don't know why or FIFA seemed too easy in a way. Like there was a certain structure. Too easy. I know it's. Too You're easy. insulting me. Yeah. Well, it's just there's a certain way to play. You can't really do anything outside of that box. With Pro Evo, it's, <laughs> Pro Evo is like an arcade game. 
Yep, yep. Things can go wrong. Did you like the terrible footballers' names and teams like Merseyside Reds instead of Liverpool? Yeah, Ryan Jiggs and stuff like that, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Terrible. Oh, he's a Welsh hero, of course. Um, Well, that's that's good to know. That's good to know. Uh, I'm glad you're not good at FIFA because otherwise I would have felt compelled to challenge you and then I would have been embarrassed. I mean, we should, though. That'd be amazing. We should do that. You know, um, someone else challenged me to FIFA recently, um, Benedict Wong. Challenged wow. me to a, to a FIFA off because I was on Twitter banging on about how good I am at FIFA, and then he called me on it and uh, he meant we should have a game sometime. I went, yes, of course, <laughs> of course. When you free uh, March thirty second, because <laughs> I'll clear my diary. <laughs> but, Is this a known thing that you're good at FIFA? Because I'm putting it out there myself, right? Sure. Because I've only ever played myself <laughs> and nephews and people off the street, right? But, you know, whenever you do play angry 12-year-olds on the old Xbox Live, uh, it's an eye-opening experience. Yeah. But, so to be sitting opposite someone who, who was ranked ninth in the world on Pro Evo is Which is, is a harder humbling. game, technically. So. It is a harder game. I had a friend who was really into it. I used a, a flatmate once who was really into it. And he was, um, yeah, it looks really tough to score. That's why nobody which plays it. Like. It's why nobody plays it, yeah. But uh, there you go. It's it's all good. So, um, so you're based in Wales at the moment. And... Um, You've done the LA thing. You've lived out there. You've you've done that for what a year or two years, or just no? I didn't live. I stayed for a little bit, but I did, I did not live there in any way. No, I was uh, out of a suitcase. Yeah, yeah. It was just purely for filming. Um, right. I've um, I've stayed in New York longer. Uh, with, okay. With Red Oaks, we we shot that for three years, and that was like three months at a time. Uh, I like New York. Is that all? Yeah, very short. Because it's ten, 10 episodes per season, and then this this season is six episodes. Six. Yeah. They, I mean, it's five days to shoot an episode. It's really quick. Wow. But it's, you know, it's just a, I suppose, just a, in a way, a family dramedy and stuff. We're not doing yeah. stranger things. We don't need to, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Do a lot of, lot of no, things I, and stuff. Yeah, I, I know that um, a lot of US TV schedules are insane, but even so, five days for an episode. It's quick. Yeah. It's very quick. Yeah, but they had really, I mean, the directors really helped, like Hal Hartley. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he comes from such a, you know, a low-budget independent movie scene that he was shooting four-page scenes in like one shot. Oh my god! Everybody was sweating because incredible directors on Red Oaks. Yeah. So you have Hal Hartley, David Gordon Green's directed some episodes as well. He's, I mean, he's crazy. Yeah. Remind me who else maybe has directed? Uh, a- Amy Heckelin. Amy Heckelin. My God. Done a bunch. Um, yeah. That, those three were the the three for the last season. Um, so and that made the most sense, I think. And you've directed yourself. So are you studying these 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 guys as they come in to to direct things? Are you looking? It's it's that how you work as well. Are you you know from working with say I guess Richard Iwadi onwards? Have you been looking at people as a sort of directorial sponge? Yeah, I think so. Just in terms of you know etiquette and how how they approach it all, mm-hmm. I think so. Um, like you know seeing how you know uh, do what he does in a short period of time is really great. That's good to learn from. And then David David is so free, like he'll throw the script away and make you do weird shit. It's, it's <laughs> terrible. I just feel so so like insecure whenever I work with David Gordon Green. He just makes you do the weirdest shit. Such as? Like, I don't know, he'll just get you to, we'll be doing the scene and then he'll be like, stop right now, give me the face like you're taking a shit. And just do that for like a good minute. That's my interview technique, really. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly enough. Yeah, it's so... Uh, it's interesting, but he's great. He's awesome. I really like Stronger. That was yeah, good. that was good. Yeah, it's a good film. It's a good film. Yeah. I'm very excited about his Halloween as well. I'm intrigued to see how he's, that's. He's doing some cool stuff with that. Uh, oh, oh, hang on a second. What do, what do you know? What have you seen? No. What can you tell me? I just said he's doing some cool stuff with that. I tried to get in it. 
I was like, oh, can I please be in it? And he was like, uh, maybe. He never responded. He never got back. Have they started filming yet? There's still a chance. October, I think. They've, uh, yeah, they've yeah they've started. Yeah, so yeah, they've started. Jamie Lee Curtis is back. I'm excited. Yep. Michael Myers. Oh man. Danny McBride. Him and Danny McBride. Danny McBride. Yeah. That's. That's I would not have guessed that they'd do that. It's so cool. I think it's a great. Yeah. And John Carpenter doing the music. I'm very, very excited about that. But uh and 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 uh who knows, he may give, he may still give you a call. Unless of course he's got your caller ID, in which case <laughs> that's just not never gonna happen. He, he won't answer. Never gonna happen. But this um this is the the final season of Red Oaks. Yeah. Um does that explain why it's only six episodes as opposed to ten? Did you know going in it was gonna be the, the final one? I think so. I think Amazon were very nice and polite in giving, you know, six episodes so they could round it off the, the way the way they wanted to. Um it's nice that we got a third season to do to do stuff and tie stuff up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they always knew that it was going to be six, and I actually think it worked worked really well compared to the ten. Um, yeah, I thought the ten were great, but having six and uh, you know a shorter time to tell the story worked. Well, as a Brit, of course, you know a comedy series being six episodes is what we do. Exactly, and I like the fact that it only lasted for three seasons. I mean, you know, that's that's a very British thing. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah, Nighty Night and The Office and all, yeah. you know all those kind of. I mean, Garth was only one, but I would have liked two from Garth. Garth Marenghi? Yeah. Oh, man. Man, see, we, we, see we're, we're going to be talking about that now for the next ten minutes yeah. <laughs> as well. Uh, so, you're a Garth Marenghi fan? Absolutely. Yeah, I have to be. Yes. Why do you have to be? Because it's so good. It's amazing. Is this because of the Richard Iowati connection, or were you a fan beforehand? I wasn't a fan beforehand, no. Um, I, I didn't know about it. I think a lot of people still don't, and that's what's so good. Such, it, such a great thing to discover. Yeah. So um, when did you discover it? Was it was it through Richard or or did you discover it? Yeah, it was through Richard because every time I like people, I talked to people that I'd work with Richard. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, Garth Marenghi!" And I was like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." <laughs> I was like, "I need to watch this." <laughs> um, and then I did, and yeah, it's incredible. It's so ahead of its time. It's an extraordinary, yeah, piece of TV. It's great, but there's something almost perfect about the fact that it's only six episodes. It feels, yeah, it re- it really is, yeah, yeah. When you when you're going into something like Red Oaks and you've got this this six six episode final season, yeah, well, how does it make you feel? Is there a sense of sadness that is coming to an end? Yeah, there, there was a moment when I realised, uh, you know, maybe taking for granted how how lovely of a TV show it is to be on. Yeah, like how nice the people are, the creators, uh, uh, Joe and Greg. They they were just so lovely and. Uh, very open to anything, and they were on set the whole time, so it kind of felt that the grammar remained, no matter if other other directors came in and stuff. Um, and say so do weird shit, and like, do, yeah, do a shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, uh, they, it was great to have them there, and it was just a great bunch of people to to, to make stuff with. You are roughly twenty six, yeah, possibly maybe early forties. I don't know. It's it's very hard <laughs> to tell. Uh, but you have already directed a film, and another one. Is hopefully on the way. I think so. Yeah, we yeah we're planning to shoot it next uh, next year. Um, we've been planning to shoot it next year for the last four years. But... <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to shoot it next year. I think April. I think we start. Um, uh, it's called Eternal Beauty. Okay. Um, Can you say anything about it at this yeah, point? Yeah, it's about a, a lady called June that um, suffers a few knockbacks and then spirals into like a chaotic schizophrenic world. Okay. It's a comedy. Which, <laughs> which it, it doesn't sound like with that summary, but it, it's yeah. a dark comedy. Okay, it's one of those pictures where you have to go. It's a comedy after e- every time. Yeah, yeah, it's a comedy unless people don't laugh, and then it's a drama. 
So I expect to see you doing the uh, the Oscar circuit next year, <laughs> going, what is this drama you made, Craig? It's fantastic. And you just go, yeah, just go with it. Yeah, it's like The Room. <laughs> it's the opposite of The Room. Yeah, James Franco will be playing you in a, <laughs> in a movie in about five years' time. Have you seen that yet? I, really I haven't seen it, no. Um, it looks interesting. It looks really cool. But, I mean, for anyone to direct a film, you were, what, 24 when... when yeah, two years, yeah. yeah, just over two years. Yeah, 24, yeah. I mean, that's, that's insane. That's, I mean, that just makes me feel bad. It isn't. Yeah, it was. In, yeah, it was interesting. It was yeah. really good. It was an uh, interesting process. Um, well, yeah. What was the experience like? Because I, I've spoken to a number of directors over the years who've you know who've worked um, with crews on, on their first movies, and you know Edgar Wright, for example, would would say uh, on Shaun the Dead, there was a period where he had to persuade the crew to trust him. Yeah. Yeah. And because of his age, because of you know the fact that you know he had just come from TV and, and whatever. Did you have that as well? Uh, you know, yeah, there was a sense of that. There was, yeah, just I mean, always seeming like you knew the answer. Mm. Um, and I think as soon as that happens, people kind of respect you for something. Um, when you look weak in any kind of way, I think people start questioning it, and everything unravels. Um, in terms of set and being on set, um, but it, I mean, yeah, it was a big. It was quite, a, yeah. It was a, you know a big journey of like you know learning because it was my first thing I'd done in any like writing or directing. Right. And I I didn't write. I, you know I, I wrote to direct. I didn't write because I'm a writer. I wanted to direct something. I'd, okay. Um, I've now you know had a couple of years to write and I can write and I you know I enjoy it. Um, and it's a strange thing because like I feel like making a movie is like having an argument with somebody. It's like you have an like you know you say you you know the night before you're drunk and you have an argument with somebody and then. That's the writing of the script, or you know, making the movie, and mm-hmm. then, and then you have time to think about it, and you think about that argument. And you're like, I probably could have dealt with that a lot better, and, okay, and, and yeah. not done that. Um, but you just have to get on with it and hope you never see that person again. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not you're, you're not you weren't a whip cracker of a director, were you? You weren't if if there was a yeah, uh, like anyone... a, no, I wasn't really shut. No, I was kind of quiet. I suppose I was uh, just polite in a way I suppose and just like very happy that people would were there to do it it just felt strange that people would turn up to do something that you'd planned as well um, <laughs> and you felt like you were wasting people's time and also I acted in that as well at yeah. the same time so it was kind of I acted in it to get the money for it okay um, the scheme I put it in a scheme a cinematic scheme okay which was £300,000 for first time directors so I just acted in it just because I thought it would save money. I wouldn't have to pay myself and stuff like that, and then, right. that I could put more money on on screen. Uh-huh. Um, I, in you know, in hindsight, I wouldn't direct, act in it again because it makes you look like you you think you're Woody Allen, and that was never the intention. I just you know, it was just easier. I yeah. suppose more practical. What's it like though, with, you know, directing yourself again? I've spoken to a number of actor directors over the years, some of whom almost hire or not hire, but they have people on set to gauge their performance their eyes yeah abs- oh yeah absolutely yeah. um well i constantly thought why did you not pick someone else when i was watching <laughs> it um <laughs> you're sitting in the editing suite for about six months <laughs> oh no who's this craig roberts guy <laughs> yeah I, it's an inter it's kind of i mean some people do it great paddy paddy's done it paddy constantine i mean Jun- yeah he did it great with journeyman oh journeyman's ph- phenomenal he's I mean. so good in that yeah um but yeah, you kind of you do. Have, I had producers that were behind the you know behind the camera and were watching, and I, I, I'm 
very limited skills in terms of what I do anyways. And I, I don't do any Daniel Day-Lewis shit. So, like, I, I kind of know what I'm doing. I know, I know what I was doing and where I would be going. Yeah, so it was kind of fine in, in that respect. I just okay. wished I had more time to, like, focus on the behind. So, so the the idea of directing you know, was that something that that you always had in mind, or was that something that that you know maybe something like Submarine lit a fire under your your backside in a way? I think Richard did, yeah, yeah, um, and Paddy, uh, with with Submarine and Tyrannosaur coming out around the same time. I remember, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. When, when they came out, and I think Attack the Block came out at the same time as well. There was a bunch of really great British movies, and I was like, wow, I really want to, I really want to be involved in making. I mean, I was involved in making it, but like. Um, I realized that when I was doing interviews and people would be like, oh, who do you look up to? What actors? I wasn't really saying actors. I found myself saying like Paul Thomas Anderson and like David Lynch and auteurs that created worlds um, and like Charlie Kaufman and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, give it a go. Um, I'd also seen a lot of bad movies and I was like, I probably could do something better than that in a way. It's a, yeah, so gave it a go. And, uh, and so hopefully next summer, next year, some... Hopefully. Next year I'll be saying we're filming it next year. <laughs> <laughs> Touching whatever the hell this is, knock on Formica. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, might, it might happen. Is there anything else beyond that? Are you, are you, or do you very much write one thing no, and I'm, I'm going to direct that one thing? This, I've, this has been finished for a while, so I've started writing something else um, for after that. So I'm working on this now, Eternal Beauty, and then after that I've got a movie uh, that I want to make called Eternal Rest. Linked or just? I think so. All right. Okay. In a kind of uh, songs from the second floor way, I suppose. Oh, interesting. So ultimately, do you see yourself directing more than acting? It really depends. I think it depends on just the ideas, like uh, whatever's out there. I mean, I I do play the same role as an actor um, just because of my ilk, you know. (laughs) I I, I look too much like a Hemsworth, so I am uh, playing those parts, you know. Uh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a wolf. It seems to be a, a, you know, like a wallflower. I seem to play those kind of parts. So, um, uh, writing and directing just gives me a chance to do something else. I think, and yeah, change it up. And um, going back to the idea, uh, going back to the the uh, portion of your career where you did Bad Neighbors and Twenty Two Jump Street, and Twenty Two Jump Street in particular is interesting to me because there's a there's a thread that runs through that movie which I love. Uh, about the tension between scripted comedy and improvised comedy. Uh-huh. Um, and I get the impression that Lord and Miller are people who very much just go, do what you do. Do what you want, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're rolling now, just, okay, we maybe do the scripted take and now do 25 where you do whatever it is that you <laughs> want to do. Is that, is, that, is that true? And if so, you know, how does, how, you know, did you take to that like a, like a duck to water because you're working with Seth Rogen, obviously, on... Bad neighbors. He improvises a lot. Yeah, they were this. Yeah, they're all again that group of people. They all do the same thing. It's kind of you. You, re- you record what's written, and then you write. You just let it go. Go yeah. to go crazy. Um, yeah. It was interesting at first, yeah, because I'd not done anything like it before. Um, but yeah, you kind of you're surrounded by people that are so funny that it's hard not to be. So it's like you got to really mess it up. If you <laughs> mess it up. Especially when you're opposite like Jonah Hill. He's that guy's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But is it nerve-wracking? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. I think that's when anxiety was introduced to me. (laughs) And we've been friends ever since. (laughs) It's like, would you like a drink of coffee, Craig? (laughs) What is this coffee? Yeah, that doesn't help. (laughs) I'm fueling it. 
But going from that, which is really loose and improvisational, obviously, to someone like Richard on Submarine, who I would imagine is fastidious, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but he does strike me as someone who is incredibly prepared. I mean, that, that movie visually is yeah. is, is, is superb. Um, does he give the does he give you leeway to to improvise and to push you know to push things around and to play with things? I think a lot of Paddy's part was improvised. Okay, in that movie, yeah. Um, none of my stuff was improvised. Okay, you're right. He 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 knew exactly what he wanted at all times, and I think he did with the Paddy thing as well. But I just think Paddy's such a great improviser that he just let him go, and he did some crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, Richard uh, and as a in terms of directing, I think that's what I would prefer is that kind of everything is planned. Yeah. And, you know, everything has a purpose. Every every department. Um, not that the other thing is wrong. I think, you know, m- you know, doing something organic and making it up on the spot is also good. Um, but I prefer the film, that film yeah. side of it. For example, I'm, I'm guessing that in the first day of Just Jim, you were more prepared than anything you'd ever been prepared for in your entire life or <laughs> i was a shell of a person like um, the, la- the month building up to that thing i just didn't know what to think like, my, my mind was going crazy it felt like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind it really did i didn't know what was going on um yeah i was very prepared and then i was like fuck it let's improvise no i didn't <laughs> guys it's just it's just just, just go with play it. around with it it's gonna be totally fine who cares um, and also, I'm going to be in it now. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be loads of coffee. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. Um, was it nerve wracking? I'm always I'm fascinated with people's first days, um, whether as uh, actors or or directors. It wasn't nerve wracking in terms of the acting. It was nerve wracking in terms of the directing. Did you act in the first day? Um, I had to. Yeah, sadly. No choice. No choice. Um, yeah. Couldn't have like you know. Had two people open the door and it was no. I mean, we <laughs> shot it. We shot it in fourteen, fifteen days, maybe. Right. We didn't have a huge amount of time. Fifteen days. It was quite quick. I think I'm lying. I don't know if it was fifteen days. I've... That seems impossible. Yeah. Well, eighteen. Look. Eighteen. I'd buy. I'd buy eighteen. It may be eighteen. I don't know. What Ladonkin Scorsese? That was done in what, like five days. <laughs> That's true, but that was mostly improv. So, <laughs> so, so they could just, just... <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it makes no sense. Um, yeah. So uh, um, yeah, terribly nerve wracking because you kind of you know you have an idea of what it is and everything, and you you see it, and and then you turn up, and everybody else that takes on their department has a completely different way of looking at it, and then it becomes something else, and you just have to go with it and and hope for the best. Mm. Um, and that's a great thing. That's a really great thing. Okay, so that was Craig Roberts, and now it is time to talk about this week's movie news. And I want to talk about box office stuff, because you know I, I, I love that, that mm. sort of thing. It appeals to my geeky side. And Justice League... Yeah, surprised me at the weekend uh, when it underperformed, I would say, at the US box office. Grossing just, I believe, $93 million in actuals uh, over the weekend. What do we make of that? Because this is a movie that, at its inception, when it was first mooted, I would have said this is a movie that will be rivaling and should have been rivaling the Avengers movies mm-hmm. and even maybe a Star Wars 
uh, for huge opening weekend. This and to put, to put those in context, yeah. those were around 200 million. Well, Avengers opened, yeah, 200 the original million. Original Avengers was 200, 191 yeah. or something for the second. Yeah. And Star Wars is like 10 trillion, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> something okay. like that. So we're talking huge, huge box office. Yeah. Uh, as it stands, this thing didn't outgross Thor Ragnarok. It actually really disappointed it's the lowest grossing lowest opening weekend for a DCEU movie yeah which is really interesting given that it's coming off Wonder Woman which was a big mm. hit so but then we... I think people didn't see it as a sequel to Wonder Woman people saw it as a sequel to Batman v Superman yes and that I think is the way that we have to but judge even then you're, you're going from a 166 yes. million dollar opening weekend but you're going from 93. a great opening weekend for Batman v Superman but a film that is perhaps not held in close to the hearts mm. of many of those people uh-huh. who went out that opening weekend and indeed who propelled it to a very respectable box mm-hmm. office mm-hmm. worldwide just not the one that I think they were hoping for with that film either um, <laughs> so this is one of these fool me once, shame on you type things, isn't it? I think it is. People were just like, we've been through this, we've been down this road before. Although in fairness, I mean, people are still going to Transformers movies and Pirates of the Caribbean movies. So, so it, is, it is a real underperformance. But I would say not in the same numbers, certainly in the States. True. Transformers and Pirates of the Caribbean didn't do that well in the States, I think, you know, compared to certainly previous iterations. Mm. And again, I mean, you know, Justice League did do respectably Respectably, overseas Um, again it hasn't maybe set the world alight and Mm -hmm. again I would put a lot of that down to the sort of grim dark Batman Superman angle of this Mm. but But it's fascinating to me because the highest praise I've seen people give Justice League on Twitter is it's massively flawed but I kind of had fun with it or I enjoyed it Mm. you know it was okay um and I think that means that they, they didn't get it right and that has clearly translated to the box office. But where have, does it go from here? Yeah. I, I mean, I have to say, I wasn't here last week so I didn't get to review it with you guys. I think I'm slightly more positive on it than you guys. Oh, I didn't know what and, you were at. Okay. And at best, I would be somewhere around that level and probably yeah. slightly below it. Yeah. I thought there were moments that were, were real real fun and showed what they were going for and showed what they were capable of, and but they were moments isolated in time and space. Did you really like the purple tentacles? You know, I don't feel like you get enough purple tentacles <laughs> in movies anymore. So yeah, yeah. No, not since my no, no please don't finish let's that. Let's move on. <laughs> what? My dinner with Andre. Mm-hmm. What do you think I was going to say? It's hard to say. I don't know. Something about hentai, probably. <laughs> um, oh God! <laughs> wow, no, that's no, an unexpected turn, Helen. No, Helen. It upsets what? me that Helen knows what hentai is. That's it's my my image of you has been destroyed you by have, that. You have to know what's out there so you can avoid it and not click on it by accident. Going, oh, I wonder what that means. Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, that's a classic defence. Yeah. Okay. All right. So where does the DCEU go from here? Aquaman's in the can. Well, I mean. What was interesting is, you know, we complained when Age of Ultron in particular came out about the the amount of world building for the forthcoming films that that seemed to contain. Um, That's certainly true of Justice League as well. There were scenes that have no real reason to to exist that are in there. I I mean, admittedly, I was watching it in the Odeon Leicester Square, which is a great cinema, but there are seats where you can barely hear any dialogue. Mm. I was in one of those and um, I couldn't hear what Amber Heard was saying to Jason Momoa. So I don't really know what that was setting up, but I'm sure it was setting up something important. Um, Obviously, Billy Crudup was in there for a minute and a half and you don't generally do that unless you're setting, setting up something for The Flash. Um, so there was 
there's definitely, you know, trailers for things to come. Even a bit of, I think, the Batman possibly set up in there as well. Possibly a little bit of Man of Steel 2. They were certainly putting him back in play, in position for a Man of Steel 2. So maybe all of those will work better. I mean, the thing is, what what they're in the unfortunate position of, of doing is every time saying, you're going to like this one, we're doing something different. And, and, it, and they did with Wonder Woman. And some people even like some of the others. So they're bound to hit on something that works, right? At some point, again. This is the infinite monkeys on infinite typewriters <laughs> approach to filmmaking. It's, it's not necessarily, but like if it doesn't work and you're committed to it, you know, maybe you just keep tweaking until See, you get something. The thing with DC and the films, apart from Wonder Woman, is I feel very much like Charlie Brown and Warner Brothers are Lucy with the football. <laughs> and it just ends in good grief every time. Good grief. So staying on the comic book movie theme, uh, we have some new casting for a Marvel movie, and that is Captain Marvel. And we have found a male lead. Who is he, Helen? Well, we have found a mentor for Captain Marvel. Um, Jude Law, uh, most recently of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find the Crimes of Grindelwald, um, is apparently nearing a deal to star opposite Brie Larson in the film. Um there hasn't been official confirma- confirmation on the casting. The rumour is that he'd be playing Dr. Walter Lawson, a.k.a. Marvell, a.k.a. her mentor, and as she comes to grips with her superpowers. So he would be Marvell? He would be Marvell. That's interesting. Yes. Okay. So, um, obviously, he'd be joining Samuel L. Jackson, he'd be joining Ben Mendelsohn as the baddie. <gasps> and of Scroll! Course, uh-huh. And of course the directors are Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. So uh, 2019 there, Marvel's, what's 20th film, 21st? Which one? Uh, oh God, okay, hang on. Uh, so we're on 17 right now, next yep. year we have three, so that's 20 and then Captain Marvel. Yeah, 21st. 21st, yeah. So, I mean, Key, key to know. the door. Yeah, great, thanks, guys. So Female lead at last, number 20, <laughs> 21. 21. That's fine. That's totally fine. I don't see what your problem is. Well, Billie Jean me... King, come on, get out of it. <laughs> let me educate you on with your, your <laughs> Equality of the sexes and all that nonsense. Come on. Come on, Helen, get with the programme. Thanks, Chris. There is some news that's not revolving around comic book movies, I promise you, I swear, but uh, for the time being, we'll, there's some news that someone else finally has been cast in Gambit, <laughs> opposite Channing Tatum, who has been attached to this movie for 47 years, and it is Lizzie Kaplan. Cool. Yeah, she's good. We like yes. her in Masters of Sex, for example. She's great in that. Is she good in that? Yeah. I've never seen it. I mean, I haven't seen the whole thing, but what I've seen, she's been very good in it. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, the things I have seen Lizzie Kaplan in, uh, she has been very, very good. So she's set to take on the role of Bella Donna Baudreau, uh, who is the daughter, of course, of the leader of the New Orleans Assassin's Guild. I'm not just reading that off a, a website. And the first love of Remy LeBeau, who is, of course, Gambit himself. Uh, Leah Seydoux was attached to the role at one point uh, this something like 25 years ago and uh, it's gone through various directors since then it is now with Gore Verbinski and uh, Channing Tatum I imagine he was pre- feeling pretty lonely on that set for a long time just waiting for <laughs> someone else to turn up I, 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 I assume that's how these things work I, I, th- I mean I, I guess it must be Chris mm. if you say so yeah Alexandra Ship, who played Storm in X-Men Apocalypse yes. and the forthcoming X-Men Dark Phoenix oh uh, yeah she was good in that yeah uh, what, you've seen Dark Phoenix already? No, she was good in uh, Apocalypse. Unlike was she? Every, unlike every 
everything else. Yeah. Was she good? And she was fine. Was she okay? She didn't have much to do, mm. but she, was, yeah. she, was she did it well. I think uh, I think that uh, ship has sailed. I mean, that doesn't really fit. No, it doesn't, but I just wanted to work in a pun. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if, if, if she's on screen with another person, we could say that we ship them. All right, let's do wow. it again. Let, we, I would... Sh- 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 no, let's not. Wow, James, you and humour are ships in the night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, 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 that's good. Ship, ship happened. No, it doesn't. doesn't. So Alexandra Ship, are we, are we done with puns in her name? I hope so. Okay. Yeah. Is going to star in Shaft, the latest Shaft reboot, reboot, which would be reboot, <laughs> which would be directed by Tim Story. Oh, yeah. Uh, he of uh, the Ride Along movies and the Fantastic Four movies. And will star Sam Jackson as Shaft. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Usher as Shaft. And Richard Roundtree as Shaft. Wait, are there... Is there some kind of family connection between these men? There (gasps) is. I'm so glad you asked because, as of course, Richard Roundtree is the original Shaft. Sure. The original and maybe some might say the best Shaft. I don't know. There's a lot of discussions of of Shafts going on right now. But uh, if you can, if you just bear with me, okay, while I get to grips with this very (laughs) slippery Shaft situation we've got going on here, okay? So, what? Imagine if you will, Helen. Why do I have to? No. Imagine if you will. Imagine if you will. I have a shaft over here. Okay. Look, and it's Richard Roundtree. He's the original shaft from the Shaft movies in the 1970s. So he worked the shaft in the 70s. Yes, he did. And then we have... Oh, look over here. What is this? It's It's another shaft. Okay, so I've got a shaft to my left and a shaft to my right. Okay, now that's Sam Jackson, all right? And he was in the... What? He was in the John Singleton movie that came out a few years ago, the one with Christian Bale. So I've got a shaft to my left and a shaft to my right. But what's this? (laughs) (laughs) What's this coming towards me? It's a third shaft. And this is Jesse Usher, who was in Independence Day Resurgence, okay? So, all these shafts are coming together now in this one film. So we have the original shaft, okay? And then his his nephew is uh, Sam Jackson. And then his son will be played by Jesse Usher. So, three shafts, the price of one. And Alexandra Shipp has just joined the cast. And that's my news! And we got through it effortlessly. And we definitely did not have to edit out ten minutes of giggling. So, so thanks, Chris. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, that's, that's... And so that's that. That'll be um, that'll be going on Netflix. It's a it's a combination of Netflix and New Line Cinema. Uh, it's going to be theatrically released in the states, but in the UK and other countries around the world, you'll be able to enjoy these shafts from the comfort of your own sofa. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see how it goes. Um, all right, there is some other news. The moustache returns. Yes, because that's does. the other news. November. That's right. Uh, this is the, the sequel to Murder on the Orient Express, which has been announced. Uh, anyone who's seen Murder on the Orient Express will not find this a great surprise since it ends with him about to go to Egypt for Murder on the Nile. <gasps> Death on the Nile. Death, Death on, the on the Nile, Murder on the Nile, SPN um, family on the Nile. <laughs> does it really matter? It kind of matters, uh, All right, yes. it does matter. Um, there will be a death. It will happen on the Nile. It may or may not involve a crocodile. Either way, Hercule Poirot will be there to solve... Do you like that, was, that, that was, was, that was good? a painful... Was, <laughs> was that not... No. 
Okay, fine. Anyway, yeah. uh, do we think he's, he's, he's going to return as the moustache, but he is also directing again, do we think? Well, he's I'm, expected yeah. to. I don't believe it's been signed and sealed and delivered okay. just yet. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, he will and- walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many A-list stars are left that didn't appear in Murder on the Orient Express, mm. so it'll be interesting to see who he can cast this time. Um but I guess if you sort of like make a list of Hollywood's highest earners in the, over the past 30 years mm-hmm. and cross off the ones we've already seen and mm-hmm. just see who's left, I guess. Mm-hmm. Currently, script being written by Michael Green. So, yeah, that's a thing. Oh, wow. Do you think he'll actually try and grow it this time? The moustache? Yeah. It's just made of like, like permed yak hair or something, isn't yeah. it? It's quite... Like Nick spent like an hour on the phone interviewing the person who created and designed this moustache in one of the most extraordinary interviews Empire has ever done. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's the, in fairness, it's one of the most extraordinary moustaches. No, but he interviewed. He interviewed her twice. <laughs> he didn't even do it once. He did two interviews about this. He takes it very seriously. Presumably, one for each layer of the moustache. I mean, yak hair is very warm, so it'd be it'd be warming. It might be more painful in Death on the Nile. Oh. Can we talk about Simon Farnaby for a sec? We can. Simon Farnaby, of course, co-wrote the script of the triumphant Paddington 2 uh, just recently. He was also involved in the original Paddington uh, in a slightly less of a writing role, but he was still in there. Um, And he's now going to adapt uh, The Magic Faraway Tree by Enid Blyton for Studio Canal. So um, we don't know anything, anything else about who's involved at this point. He's just working up a script. Um... So you're saying it's magically far away? <laughs> it probably is quite far away. Um, but the Magic Faraway Tree is uh, is kind of bonkers, and, but it could be great. I think a lot of Enid Blyton books, I was a huge fan as a kid, like to the point where my dad had to institute a rule that not all of my library books were allowed to be written by Enid Blyton. Like I was, as a kid, you were only allowed three books in my library and every week I'd come back with three Enid Blytons. So I had, I was forced literally to kind of branch out and actually read other people which is how much I loved her as a kid when you go back and read them as an adult they're massively massively fascist like horrendous <laughs> no, no. books absolutely fascist they are sexist they are racist oh they're they just are... the worst yes they yeah. are um, but having said that as far as I remember, and I'm not going back and checking, Magic Faraway Tree was not the worst of the bunch because it took place in a sort of magical land. So you basically climbed this tree and basically at different like hours of the day there would be a different magical land at the top, including Aww. a place called Birthday Land, which sounded amazing. And there were places with like ponies and unicorns and stuff that you could ride. And it was basically like sort of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at the top of a tree. Kind amazing. of a thing. It, it could amazing. be great with him in charge. I really, I'm, I'm quite. I think it could work. I've never read the Magic Faraway Tree, but in my head, whenever I hear about it, I picture the evil tree from the King Killer Chronicles. You know, the one that uh, <laughs> Lin Manuel Miranda is adapting. Uh, the evil tree that, that yes. makes you do evil things. It's not that tree. It tells no, you evil things much. and makes you it's, go mad. It's more like a portal to another place, which is weird. And there's a dude called Moonface, as I remember, who has a big. Moon shaped face. <laughs> wow. A bit on the nose. <laughs> she, a little bit. She, she knocked off really that day, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. She came up with Martha, why did you say that name? And then she just yeah. went home. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. But enough, my favourite, uh, you know, Blyton is uh, Five Annex the Sudetenland, which. <laughs> <laughs> no, here's my problem with her, right? In the famous five, the dog counts, right? That's how you get to five. Two boys, two girls, one of them a tomboy, and a dog. And that's, that's five, right? Yeah. Right? yeah. Secret Seven, it's seven of them plus a dog. What's wrong with that dog? The Why doesn't the dog is bothering count? You. It's, it's very upsetting. Right, so that would normally be it for the, for the movie news, but there is one more thing. 
And this is the news that uh, John Lasseter, who is the head of Disney Animation and Pixar Studios, uh, has had to step down for six months, uh, taking a sabbatical. He is the latest Hollywood figure to be embroiled in the uh, current wave of developments rocking Tinseltown. He has stepped down, admitting what he calls missteps with employees of Disney and Pixar. And this is this is a pretty huge development, isn't it, Helen? Yeah, this is this is not good news. I think nobody wants to see heroes fall. You know, Harvey Weinstein, while he's made great films, is nobody's hero as mm. a person because he was widely already known to be a bully and a burr and everything else. And and but someone like John Lester, I think we all expected more of and, and thought more highly of than this. Um, so it's uh, um, so it's disappointing um, to hear him, you know, admit to this, to hear him step down, and to hear him um, talked about in this way and, and to, that he's acted in this way so yeah I mean it, it is he is a, a huge deal by the way it yeah, is worth saying it's it not is. just it is Pixar Disney Animation Disney's director dvd line as well Disney Imagineers he is an enormous figure in Hollywood and it is um, there's obviously been a lot of people um, affected by this perhaps as a result um, and I think it's one of those things where What's some some of the most worrying stuff to come out of this is the fact that because he was known to behave in apparently allegedly in in these ways, steps were taken to keep women who they thought he might pay these attentions to away from him. But that meant those women were kept out of the room, the room where it happens. If we were talking about Hamilton earlier, and that that mm. limits opportunities and mm. that limits involvement and that limits your career. Um, so it is, it's one of these things where, you know, what appears to be by the standards, certainly compared to someone like Weinstein or the, the allegations that have been made against Kevin Spacey, these are more minor, but they still have a corrosive and a choking effect mm. on employees. And I think that's one of the things that to, to kind of bear in mind with this. It's not just about, well, he only hugged them if you don't think that's a big deal, or well, well, he only touched their thighs if you don't think that's a big deal. It's also about the result was people's careers were limited mm. their options were limited and they were held back relative to their peers and that is a real problem no i'm with you completely on this i think it, it kind of goes back to what joe brand said on have i got news for you the other week when she's saying these things may seem relatively low level in some of these cases but it all contributes to uh, a culture of this kind of abuse so you mm. kind of have to take a zero tolerance approach to it and i think also this is a an interesting test of people's resolve on these issues because it's very easy to cast stones at characters like harvey weinstein or brett ratner who we may not particularly like to begin with mm. when it's someone you really do admire someone you really like i think it's important to hold the line and say no this is still unacceptable he should step down you know much as i may love his films that's not an excuse for yeah. him to to continue this way same so. with same with al franken earlier yeah, in the week absolutely me. al franken completely um, and actually, it was actually very heartening to hear a lot of sort of uh, Democrat uh, commentators in the US being quite, yeah, absolutely, we are going to be equal with this as well. He may be a Democrat, but we're going to condemn it also. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very sad to hear this and very sad, even more sad, that it actually went on. Indeed. But, exactly. um, yeah. Yeah, Fred, there's not a lot to add to that. And again, as we said before in the podcast, this one I think is going to run and run and run. And we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Uh, okay, time now for our second guest. Uh, someone we've had in the podcast once, twice, James? Can't really remember. Three times a lady. Three times a Lee Child. Because it's Lee Child. Mm. Did he say nothing? No, he said lots of things. Huh? He said lots of things. So he is, of course, the author behind Jack Reacher, the 22nd Jack Reacher book. 
The Midnight Line is uh, in stores. Let me just double check. Is it in stores now? I think it is. I think Jimbo, it's you and I. It is? Helen's saying yes. I have considered buying it. You consider buying it? And it's... I've decided I'll borrow yours. Fair enough. I have a couple knocking around somewhere. Uh, so it is out now. It is in stores. Uh, good and evil. Right now, the 22nd Jack Reacher book. Um, we lovely child here at Empire. Um, and we love Jack Reacher. So when we knew he was in London, we jumped at the chance to bring him into the podcast booth. James, you weren't around for this one. No. Did you ask him uh, if he's been to Boots while he's been here? No, I didn't ask him that. <laughs> uh, but we did talk about a lot of stuff. I brought in a fellow Super Reacher fan, Johnny Pyle, to talk about this, uh, to talk to Lee Child with me. And, and we had a lot of fun. And for the second Lee Child Empire podcast appearance in a row, he gave us a hot world exclusive by revealing the name of the next Jack did Reacher he? book. Yes. Now, he had already revealed it as yesterday. But, as you'll hear in the course of the of the interview, he has already changed the name and he told us what the new name was. My God. I've, I feel like I'm Woodward and Bernstein sometimes. <laughs> Just finding it out in the same body. It's amazing. So, this is a lot of fun. Uh, Lee Child talking about Jack Reacher and all sorts. Uh, do enjoy. Uh, we are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by Lee Child. How are you, sir? Pretty good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Are you uh, jet-lagged? No, are you okay? I, I never get jet-lagged. I, I live my entire life in a fog of confusion, so how would I tell the difference? <laughs> Do you know where you are right now? I'm in London. I'm in Golden Square, which used to be the place where Granada had its headquarters. It's London offices down here in Golden Square. Oh, really? So mm. you've been here quite a, quite a few times? No, I avoided the uh, main <laughs> office if I possibly could. Are, are we keeping you from writing... Yes. Yesterday, today. Yes, although the title's changed. It's not yesterday anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. There were too many books coming out with yesterday around them, uh, and I just thought, ah, I don't want to be the same as everybody else. So it's a book about the past, the next book we're talking about now. I don't really know what it's about because I haven't finished it yet, but mm-hmm. uh, it's about the past. It's a current-day story, but Reacher looking back into the past because... Uh, He's passing by this place in New Hampshire that he recognizes from old paperwork as his father's birthplace. Mm -hmm. And so he thinks, oh, well, you know, I'll spend a day, I'll go and take a look, maybe find the old guy's house or something. He gets into town, there's no record whatsoever of anybody called Reacher ever living there. So what's going on? I don't know, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll find out probably. But uh, yesterday was sort of a working title, but then everybody was saying, you know, there's Sue Grafton, why for yesterday? Mm -hmm. There is somebody else doing yesterday, so... It's a pretty famous Beatles song, I believe. I believe so, yeah. Uh, And so my editor in the States said... um, what about something with past? And being a writer, I said, well, what about past tense? Mm-hmm. Meaning it as a joke, you know, mm-hmm. like a linguistic joke. And she said, that, that would really work. So it's probably going to be called past tense. Because <laughs> tense, you know, get it? It's a suspense novel. Yes, no, I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. It works on at least two levels. At least two, yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. What, what a scoop. The last time you were on the Empire podcast, you told us the uh, the name of Make Me. I remember uh, I that, was yeah. delighted yeah. by that. So yeah. every two years, you just come back on, you tell us the name of the new book. and You uh, heard we'll it here first. <laughs> Unless you've told other people first. Isn't no. It? No? Actually, actually not. Lee, thank you so much. Yeah. Much. So this is obviously that's a twenty third Reacher book. Uh-huh. Uh, how far in are you at the moment? I'm about fifteen point something percent of the way through. 
Not to be over-precise about it. <laughs> so you have a, a, a cut-off point. You know how long it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you've got to do 100,000 words, basically. Okay. Or I do, anyway, because the problem is if I drop below 100,000, then the next one would be sort of 60,000, and then the one after that would be a haiku. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've got to set myself a target and stick to it. So I figure 100,000, but it'll go over that inevitably, but that's the kind of minimum. Do you ever think you you have a, a, a behemoth in you, a, a, a Jack Reacher doorstop novel, uh, a thousand pager? <laughs> well, probably not, because uh, <laughs> you know why? Why wouldn't I split it up into two and and have two books in one? <laughs> Take a year off then. A very good point. And, and then just very very quickly, so the uh, you're fifteen percent into this one with Midnight Line. Were you, when you were 15% in, how close was it to the finished product? Do you revise a lot? Do you go back? I never revise, no, because, I mean, I'm, I am, as you know, completely mm-hmm. sane and rational person. But when I'm writing the book, that is what is happening. Mm-hmm. And so I reached the end of it. That's what happened. Uh, you can't go back and change it any more than you can change what you did yesterday. You know, you did it. That's, that's what happened. And um, sometimes somebody will say wouldn't it be better if this occurred before that? And I say, yeah, probably, but it didn't. So just to throw an example at you of, of how you don't revise. Uh, in Gone Tomorrow, and don't worry, we're not going to superfan you. It, it's, not, it's not one of those gotcha things. But in Gone Tomorrow, Reacher, at the beginning of the book, is in a, a subway car with a whole group of other people mm-hmm. who are revealed through the course of the book to be pertinent to the plot in some way. He doesn't know this. Do you know that at that point? Not, no idea, no. I, I remember writing that book because I loved that beginning it was a great idea at the beginning and that's the problem with having uh, a book where your great idea is the very beginning then you've got to do the whole rest of it with no clue and so i remember that very well and i was just populating that car because it was uh it, you had to spin it out you know i wanted it to last four or five chapters that opening sequence and i remember populating that car and then thinking about it later when I was in difficulties with the plot. And I thought, you know, somebody else would have known about that. And I thought, well, I suppose all those people were involved. So I had to go back on the computer and think, who were they and uh, how could they be involved? So, yeah, this, it's, uh, you know, I write stuff down and then use it later. Do other writers, are, are they uh, inspired by your working methods or do they, do they think, you're crazy, don't, don't yeah, do it like they, that? they panic. I mean, if you talk to 10 writers, you're going to get about 38 different ways of doing it. And some of them do a 300-page outline and then kind of expand it into the book. Other people do a brief thing. Some people have index cards. You can get a computer program now that sort of has miniature index cards on one side of the screen that you can jot down your scene notes. But I, I just prefer to busk it, make it up like real life. You have, you have no idea what's going to happen in the next five minutes. You might think you do, but you really don't. <laughs> what are you planning to do? <laughs> I'm terrified now. It's not me. It could be anything. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, John. Uh, but you're you're a massive uh, Reacher fan as well. What was your what was your first Reacher experience? My first Reacher experience was the hard way. Mm-hmm. I was stood in a line at W. H. Smith about to before just before I flew to Cuba in 2007, and I had a different book in my hand, and it was on special. I didn't know what it was, and I just I picked it up because I was like. I'm in Cuba for two months and there's no English books there. I better take more than one book, actually. This is, okay. this is ridiculous. Yep. So I picked it up and it wasn't the first book I read. Then I read it and then I read it immediately again mm-hmm. and was hooked from there. And I got home and I sent it to my dad. My dad read it and then bought every single other Reacher book that was available from Amazon the next day. So the plan works. It's great. It's, yeah. yeah. Excellent. <laughs> and, I mean, the number of people he's turned onto it at the golf 
course, uh, his golf club. I mean, it just it just seems to 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 grow. Like you, one person will tell one person to another person, and suddenly everyone in my life now is uh, is obsessed. It's uh, it's lovely to hear that. I mean, the hard way I remember writing that. I remember where I was. I, I wrote it in France, mm. and um, it's nice to hear that it had an effect in the golf clubs of England. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It absolutely did. Do you hear this as well? A lot anecdotally, people come up and say, I discovered it at this place, and they know exa- I know exactly where I was when I first discovered I, Reacher. Yeah, I do. I'm fascinated by the business side of it, you know, the, mm. the, the ins and outs of how people choose a book or why they pick up a particular book. And I, I, I spend a lot of time lurking in airports. You know, if I've got to go somewhere, you've got an hour to kill, so I'll lurk and watch people how they choose and some of them are hilarious i've seen twice i've seen guys weighing them in their hands you know this one or that one weighing them up like this and i'm not quite sure why are they are they thinking i want to take the lighter one because i've got to carry it in my shoulder bag or are they thinking i want the heavier one because i've got two weeks on the beach and i need something substantial Uh Uh, and i've seen it go both ways one guy chose the heavier one and then later one guy chose the lighter one and uh, you know we spend, you talk to a publisher, they spend so long doing the jacket and doing the, the, the copy on the back of the jacket and making the package attractive. And then it all comes down to a guy with, with weighing it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated by your jackets, though, because the, the US and the UK ones are different. I, yeah. I hate the US ones. <laughs> yeah, and actually a lot but of people... But I love the UK ones. Yeah, a lot of people do. In America, they say the same thing. I mean, the UK ones are, are, are starkly pictorial. You know, they usually yeah. have this silhouetted character which immediately tells you, okay, here's a loner, a lone guy moving through the landscape and it's got to be somehow significant or sinister. And the US one's much more graphic. Although this one, The Midnight Lion, the new book that's out this year, the US has moved slightly pictorial. Has it? Uh, yeah, very slightly. You know, nothing like the British one, but slightly down the pictorial road. And I think it probably works better, but every single publisher has has its own knowledge of its own territory, and they think they know better. Mm. And, um, you know, the French ones are just weird and kind of fairly blank, and uh, the Russian ones are the best ever. The Russian are ones they? are, yeah, embossed, kind of crimson blood-colored letters on it, all sparkly and spattered. Uh, and of course, I can't really know. I can't really understand what the title says. Yeah. Although I do know in the Cyrillic alphabet, Lee Child is written out in a way that looks like Anne Yanni. And I once put a character in a book. In one shot, actually, there's a journalist called Anne Yanni, mm-hmm. simply as a as a homage to my name in Cyrillic. Do you have? Uh, so you've just led the BBC into uh, your studio to watch you write the first three days mm-hmm. of what we now know is called past tense. So. Is your studio very much... If you went in, would you know that you were the writer of the uh, Jack Reacher novels? Do you have any Jack Reacher posters? Uh, any, any? Uh, I have... Front covers? I have, yeah. Every... I mean, I don't want to sound like uh, a show-off, but if I make it to number one, then the, the publisher in the US gives me like a, a framed thing with the, the book jacket and a facsimile of the bestseller list. And so, yeah, the walls are absolutely crowded. In fact, <laughs> I'm probably going to have to retire because I don't have any more space on my wall for another number one. Well, that would be very, very sad. Or alternatively, you could just move or knock the wall through the apartment next door. True. I'm sure they wouldn't mind. I've also got... The Yankees gave me a Yankees shirt with Child 15 on the back of it. I don't know why. 15th book, possibly, or something. <laughs> and that's hanging up. And uh, the Royal Military Police 
the first regiment, Royal Military Police, gave me a, a framed thing with all their badges from the uh, the first regiment, Royal Military Police Jack Reacher fan club, who I actually met up in uh, up in Harrogate this uh-huh. summer. They all came over and. Um, their their boss, uh, commanding officer, sort of was Jack Reacher. He was about seven feet tall and very scary. Have Aston Villa given you anything? Actually, no. Uh, Aston Villa give very little to anybody, including joy or satisfaction. <laughs> it's not a good time to be an Aston Villa fan. No, it really never has been, apart from a few very brief interludes. It's, it's a character builder. It's something that you, you, know, you carry with you the rest of your life, that you are that little bit sterner stuff than anybody else if you've survived a lifetime of supporting the Villa. Uh, and Lee, famously, you have uh, named characters after Aston Villa legends from the past. Uh-huh. I don't remember anyone being in the Midnight Line unless I missed someone, did I? Uh, no, I think the Midnight not- Line was... M- Mostly taken up with people who had won uh, charity auctions, because that's another thing I do. I donate character names to charity auctions. Okay. And they, uh, you know, the winner gets a name. And uh, there's a, detec- a woman detective in the Midnight Line called Nakamura. Uh-huh. That was oh, a yes. charity winner. Okay, good. And the uh, Reacher's temporary sidekick, the guy he works with through, uh, through most of this book, Terry Bramall, is a, uh, a rich guy up in Yorkshire who um, sponsored the Harrogate Festival and the and he made this bizarre request that he would give this huge donation to Harrogate Festivals <laughs> if I would go and have dinner with him. And so I did. And he, he was a really, really nice guy. And he had the most amazing car collection. He had this new house pretty much right in the center of Harrogate. Uh-huh. Uh, and you go down this staircase and then you're in this huge circular underground garage full of classic Aston Martins and Bentleys and stuff like that. So does he get to choose the character? Because obviously, I mean, famously, Francis uh, Neagley was chosen uh, from a charity auction, right? Yes, she was. They don't, I mean, I don't say you can specify what you want, but on the other hand, I feel, you know, these are very generous people. They're supporting charities and good causes, so I'm not going to make them the disgusting villain. So they they usually turn (laughs) out to be good people, yeah. Except it wasn't the Neagley one, there were two. This is is a story I'm I'm half remembering. There were two, right? (laughs) There were. For that, and... You uh, you made the the love interest a yeah, bit strange. I mean, back then, it, you're right. That what happened back then, the bidding was getting insane, and it was towards the end of the year. I remember it was at a convention in I think about October, and the bidding was getting insane. And I was worried about these women's families. You know, were their children going to go without shoes or Christmas presents or something like that? And so, to sort of compensate them, I said, "You can specify what you want to be." And um, so the first one was Emmy Froelich, and she came through. Uh, back then, for security reasons, you had to get a fax, you know, given the permission to use the name, sure. just in case there was some comeback. And she, so I got her fax name, address, and all of that. And at the bottom, she'd written, I would like to be the love interest. And then I got the second one from Frances Nagley, who said, you know, name, address, and she, she said, I would like to be Reacher's sidekick. And I would like the love interest to die a horrible death. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt sort of obliged to do that. And the Emmy Froelich one turned out to be a kind of morally complex character because she, had, it, the way I wrote it, she was the had been the girlfriend of Reacher's dead brother mm. and was therefore sort of keen to meet Reacher, but also kind of confused as to exactly who he was. Was he really the brother? Uh, and mm. so she related to him in memory of, of the brother, really, in a way that was kind of morally weird. And that woman has never spoken to me since. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Oh, wow. She must, she must have thought it was creepy, I think. So well, Frances Neagley must be delighted. Yeah, yeah. and she's... I mean, a, she's got her money worth. Yeah, she really has, because I, I loved her so much in the, the way her character came out. I've used her a few times. And she is actually the nicest woman. She was a nurse from San Francisco, now retired, and really the sweetest person. So if Johnny and I made a, what, a £10 donation to charity <laughs> in your name, could you... Could you Temp- See your way fit to... You'd, you'd probably be collateral damage or something like that. You know, the guy that gets run over or a stray bullet or something like that. <laughs> stray bullet. <laughs> Pretty much some of my life, I think. Uh, but that, what an honour to be bumped off in a, in a Jack Reach and Well, be... we can do it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll talk after this. We'll talk after this. Um, so with the Midnight Line, obviously you don't want to get too much into spoilers. Uh, but there is a development in Reacher's, and it's right in the first few pages, in Reacher's love life, and that you set the, uh, the the clock back to zero, in a way, with Michelle Chang from the from the first from the last book. Yeah, last but one, because yeah. the la- Night School, the last book, was a prequel, yeah. which sort of put it put put Reacher on pause in the current day. And at the end of Make Me, where I reveal the title on this very podcast, at the end of Make Me, unusually, I think, actually uniquely, Reacher and the woman leave together at the end of the book and they go mm-hmm. for a three-day vacation in the romantic capital of the world, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And so the the Midnight Line picks up with uh, she's just left because the problem with Reacher is he loves intelligent women but that's a catch-22 because the more intelligent the woman is, the more quickly she realizes that this is great for 48 hours, yeah. but there's nothing in the future. So she leaves, and she leaves a little note on the pillow with a very apt simile. She says, you're like New York City. I love to visit, but I could never live there. So he's on his own, <laughs> and he's he's a little bit kind of... He, he's a little sad about it because he really likes her, so he's sad, but also a little... F- guilty in the corner of his mind he knows this is his fault um but he won't admit that his lifestyle is weird he thinks his lifestyle's okay but he sort of knows it isn't so he's a little sad and confused at the the beginning of the book and uh that is that bodes badly actually for the gang of bikers that he meets towards the beginning of the book (laughs) because he's even more reckless than usual because i think actually he doesn't care whether he wins or loses that fight in a way he'd like to lose i think because he's he's just so angry with himself with everything but he wins, of course, and um, so yeah, it 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 starts. It's always hard to start a Reacher book because the thing about Reacher is he doesn't have a job. You know, he's not a cop sitting at the police station waiting for the call. There's been a murder. Come and investigate it. it how do you get him into the story? Mm. And so I decided to circularize that. His very aimlessness gets him into the story mm. this time. He's just taken the aimless stroll, furious that Michelle Chang has left. And he sees uh, a ring in a pawn shop, which is the class ring from West Point in 2005. And it's tiny. It's clearly a woman cadet's ring. And he knows what it's like to get through West Point. It's four hard years and doubly hard for a woman. And 2005 is a bad year to graduate because immediately you go to Iraq or Afghanistan. So he's wondering what kind of misfortune made her sell this ring or pawn it. And so he, he just... He's got nothing else to do, as you know. And so he just, um, he thinks, well, I'm going to get this ring and I'm going to find out who she is and I'm going to give it back to her. Mm-hmm. And that's the the quest, the whole story, is finding this woman, finding out what her problem was. And thematically, do you have anything in your mind that you want to tackle? I mean, you you've, you've talked about how you're, you're thinking about Reach's father for past tense and then uh, I think you also had the dark web on your mind when you were writing Make Me. I did and I... 
I had in in my mind for this one, not specifically uh, the opioid crisis, you know, which is huge in America, the abuse of prescription pain medication. Um, But really, I had in my mind the fact that we're never going to solve it unless we face up to the fact that people have rotten lives, they want to take the edge off, and an opiate high is a truly magnificent thing. You know, you cannot deny that. It's a wonderful thing. So I'm speaking on behalf of addicts everywhere here that um, <laughs> you've got to take it seriously. There's a yeah. reason why people love this stuff. And uh, and I'm already getting emails, actually, from addicts and, or recovering addicts saying, thank you very much for a sympathetic and accurate portrayal, rather than just making these people losers or ciphers. You know, these are real people with real problems. And so that was a sort of on my mind. Could I bring that in in some way? And so you have to read the book and, and see whether I did it. And uh, going back to the idea of names in the book, there's a character called Arthur Scorpio. <laughs> yeah, I love the name Arthur. For some reason, Scorpio popped up in my mind, and I just thought, all right, he's called Scorpio. <laughs> and then um, Arthur is uh, just Arthur is a wonderful name. I've never actually met anybody called Arthur. No, nor I. In, in, you know, in the modern world. But I think we should. I think we should have a lot of people called Arthur. Have you? You, you, know, you grew up in Burnley? Uh, not, not the profile, but I imagine there's lots of Arthurs knocking around in Burnley. Yeah, I had a great uncle. Genuinely. Yep. <laughs> did he run a laundrette? Uh, he did not. Okay. No. Okay, well, no. he's got very little in common with my Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> and Scorpio. Uh, it's the most Bond villain name uh, yeah. yet. In- I know, because I, I wanted that sort of di- that contrast. Scorpio is could be a Bond villain. Arthur modifies it in a certain way, and running a laundrette modifies it even more. I'm really sad he's not some rich guy living in Harrogate. (laughs) Stroking a white pussy. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned, we were talking about uh, Joe, Reacher's brother. Uh, Have you ever thought about exploring him as a character? I mean, you've had some flashbacks to to Joe. You guys know so much about this series. I mean, yeah, I've never really thought about that, but... uh, I could. I mean, that Joe shows up in a couple of the short stories, or at least one of them, and in, in a way that I thought was was quite good because it does. Joe is kind of the acceptable version of Reacher. He's he's a good boy, you know. Yeah. He works hard. He tries hard. He, he's he's quite straight and um, it, it's sort of naive in a way. And Reacher's a younger brother, but much more streetwise. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there could be a story in that somehow. We'd have to go back in time, obviously, because. Joe's long dead now, but we go yes. back in time till when he was alive, and maybe we could have a thing where, you know, Joe is just too good for his own uh, own sake somehow, and Reacher has to straighten him out. Actually, Joe's in another uh, short story called Small Wars, where he tries to do something devious, but Reacher figures it out, and then does not betray him. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking maybe a, a Joe series of books. You could, you could, write, you could write a Reacher novel, and then... When you finish that, just quickly bash out a Joe Reacher novel. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lot of hard work. <laughs> you also mentioned uh, there's an amazing fight scene in the first few pages. Not too much of a spoiler to give that away. Uh, it's a Jack Reacher novel. We, we expect fight sequences. <laughs> do. Uh, how do you plan them out in your head? Because he, I noticed Reacher's use, and Johnny, we talked about this, of the scything elbow which is something that he uses quite a lot. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's it's all memory, really. You know, in, in that scene there, they come out of a bar and it, there's this sort of gravel-strewn parking lot where their motorbikes are parked and uh, they, they, there's a fence and a corner and, and you know, the choreography is set in that context. And that is 
the playground at my primary school with seven random guys who were always... Because I did have, you know, a bit like Joe, I had an elder brother who was a geek, and um, he was a small, scrawny guy with sticky-out ears and uh, three years older than me. So when I started at primary school, my parents asked me, and it hurt, it hurt them terribly to do it because they were so respectable. They didn't want to get into any of this stuff. But they said to me, uh, when I started, I was five, they said, your first duty every playtime is to go and make sure Richard's all right. And so I would come trotting out of the classroom, and my first duty was to find out whichever kids were pulling Rich's ears or whatever, <laughs> and I smack them around a little bit, and then go and join my own friends. So yeah, it's basically all written from memories of, of uh, playground fights in primary school. Oh wow! Okay. And the elbow thing, yeah, the elbow thing. Uh, you learn quite early because your hand hurts if you hit people. <laughs> it, it, it really hurts. And so the elbow's much better than the headbutt, which is something else I learned. I think I was about four when I learned that. Headbutt is, is all, nobody ever expects one. That's the magic thing. You were about four. Were you headbutting people when you were four? Yeah, because I was already tall enough to get a good, you know, good leverage there and good, good dynamic impact. I'm not sure I've ever headbutted anybody. Johnny, have you launched um, your... I, I did a mist... <laughs> I was having an argument with someone about cricket and uh, a, a, a cricket. gentleman's game. So immediately in with the headbutt, and yeah, I missed him. I just didn't get. I just didn't go far enough forward. What you stopped too soon? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Common mistake. <laughs> when was this? I was at school. I was about okay, uh, fourteen, fifteen. I think it was like last week. Or something. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was in the yeah. office. Yeah, it's it's the great argument settler. It really is. Because um, I, I I thought maybe you might take yourself into New York uh, sort of uh, dives and maybe throw your weight around a little bit. No, I'm too respectable for that. And there aren't really that many dives in New York. You have to go a long way to find them now. You know, New York <laughs> is a very safe and sedate city. In fact, one time I was. Uh, it was a few years ago, and the Yankees sort of fizzled out miserably in the postseason early and, and were out, and I was just so annoyed. It was about 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday, and I lived near Union Square, which is always thronged on a Saturday night. So I went down there, not especially looking for a fight, but just looking for an opportunity to shout and yell at somebody, you know, get into a confrontation, burn off a bit of adrenaline. And so I, I walked down there, and I was barging into people and knocking them left and right, hoping to something and everybody was polite yeah oh sorry excuse me new york is not what it used to be yeah that's not in the brochure no you're now 23 books in you're 15 percent into your, your 23rd book mm-hmm. uh does reacher still surprise you as a character uh yeah he does because you know i don't do it so much it's, it's not right to say I do it on autopilot but i just trust I, I do it without a plan and i trust him or you know which is a sort of ridiculous way of putting it. I trust my subconscious to come up with um, this, this, an organic, genuine character. Mm. And he does, yeah. He will, it, it'll suddenly pivot in a way that I, I wouldn't have planned in a million years, but it'll suddenly go somewhere that is really, really good. But you also must know with absolute certainty how he would behave in any situation. Yeah, totally, yeah, I do. And um, But it's a, it's a skill that you've got to really work on with a long-running series character because the, the fatal thing is to think about him too much and especially to like him too much. The author must be super critical of the main character. Otherwise, it's going to, you're going to start defending him and you're going mm. to start uh, presenting him in the best light and uh, you're going to make him too good and too sugary. So I keep him at arm's length. I do nothing to make him look good. It's warts and all, all the way. And um, 
the thing you've got to remember is I'm not afraid of Reacher. He's afraid of me. <laughs> you hold the power of, of life I and do, death absolutely. over him. I could do anything to that guy. <laughs> and he couldn't do anything about it. 15% might be all you get in the, in the next book. You might get back to New York and suddenly just kill him on the next page, and there you go. Yeah, you never know. Don't that, do that. That would, don't do that. that would be a drag. Me and my it? father would be devastated. Yeah, the golf clubs of uh, <laughs> Burnley would be in a bad state. So just uh, one last thing. I mean, I, th- I think I ask you this. You've been in the podcast a couple of times, Lee, and I ask you this every single time. It is about life and death. Uh, with Reacher, do you have an endpoint? And if so, does that endpoint change as time goes on? It has changed, yeah, because I used to be quite strict in a kind of literary way that I used to think, all right, this is the character. He's a noble old war horse, you know, a man of tremendous moral strength and moral compass. And so the the obvious end point has got to be that he is forced into a situation where he's either got to give up the person he's looking after or give up himself. And, you know, given who he is, he would obviously protect the person he's looking after and give himself up. And so I... I had an, the last book was always going to be called Die Lonely, and the last scene would be Reacher staggering into a filthy motel bathroom and bleeding to death on the floor. Um, but I just, over the years, I've just heard so much passion from readers. They love this guy, and it would be gratuitously upsetting to the reader to do that. So I'm going to modify it. If 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 it's time to end the series, I'm going to modify it into a kind of metaphor where. You know, the adventure's over, he heads for the bus station, but he stops and he turns back and goes back to town mm. and uh, rents a room and adopts a dog. <laughs> Any type of dog? Well, it's got to be, I, I'm thinking, uh, you know, obviously sort of some scruffy wirehead type of dog. <laughs> Large terrier, maybe all the way up to an Irish wolfhound size, you know? See, that would be quite small compared to Reacher. It would, it would like be, a puppy. Yeah. It would be him. like a Jack Russell. Have you, so if, uh, are you still intending to call that book Dying Lonely, or would that be Live Lonely? What, what would you call it now? I don't know, but it would probably probably refer to the dog in some way, you know. And uh, I told my publisher this, and he's, he's worried now in case the dog shows up in any of the books. It might pre, it might prefigure the end. I think we're all worried now. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply worried. I mean, we know that the next book's called Past Tense, although that might, that's not set in stone. <laughs> that could change. That could all change. This could be Reacher's you know, last hurrah. This, this could be it. That could be the title right there. Reacher's Last Hurrah. Yeah. Well, if, you, if I see a book called Reacher's Last Hurrah, Lee, I'm not going to buy it. It'll be a choice of Reacher's Last Hurrah or Reacher's First Dog. <laughs> <laughs> but you do have to carry on at least until book 27. Why? Why Because uh, Jack Reacher, the movie Jack Reacher, was based on one shot, which is the ninth book. Mm-hmm. All right, And then uh, Never Go Back was based on the 18th book. So for there to be another Jack Reacher film, it has to be based on the 27th book, Ergo, you have to keep going until then. You're a math geek too, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 27 books. I can count up to 27, but that doesn't make me a math geek. Or, okay, tw- it's got to then either be 27 or 36. Well, there we go. But if it's 36, I'll be about 108 years old. And then, <laughs> that can't work. Would uh, you ever pass it on to someone else? I mean, because obviously other people write Sherlock Holmes now and other yeah. people write yeah. um, Bond? Bond novels. Yeah. That's a great question, and you know, it's a really good question because... Uh, we'll do it. You'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Chris and I will do it. I read that, uh, you know, the Stig Larsson book, The Girl Who... Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Um, spider's Web. Yeah, the Spider's yeah. Web one. Mm-hmm. The, actually, the New York Times asked me to review it, and I, I did it because I was really interested. Is it actually possible? Because those two characters, especially uh, Salander, you know, so weird. Is it possible to take a character and, and reproduce it through another writer? 
And I, I concluded, kind of, yes, it is, up to about 95%. But there's always a margin of just madness that comes from who knows where that actually makes the character. So I don't think it's possible to really reproduce the character, but you can get pretty close to it. So we'll just have to see. If my brother needs a job, yeah, maybe he could do that. <laughs> I mean, but so much of the Reacher is not just the character, it's the writing style, which is you know very distinct. And you wouldn't want just another writer trying to emulate that, would you? Just no, to I, re- I think it would be, dif- it. It be difficult to, to, to replicate it because, it, mm. you know, I can tell you when I'm doing it, it just flows out. It just happens that way. The most ludicrous sentence fragments and stuff and word choices, it just happens. And they're dead right, and I, can't, I don't even know how I'm doing it, so I don't know how anybody else could do it. Uh, is there a, uh, an update on where Hollywood is with, with Reacher? Uh, just c- counting, the, counting the beans, I think. You know, it's all about... Uh, is it profitable? And both movies went through the same kind of arc, which was um, unspectacular on first release. Uh, you know, certainly satisfactory, you know, not embarrassing, but uh, they did not set the world on fire at the cinema box office, but they made a lot of money on the ancillaries, mm. uh, the DVDs, the downloads, the streaming and the on-demand. Um, and I can tell that because, you know, I was... I had a cameo in both movies, and so I get residuals. And I can tell how it's doing on the television by how big the checks are. You know, some I actually, it's usually around $21 or $23 or something like that, but the last check I got was $38 so on my, <laughs> for my acting residuals, and that's got to mean something. That's pretty huge. Yeah. What did you do with that check? I pay it and I save it up. I got this special bank account where I save up all that little, you know, the little money, and uh-huh. that feels to me like real money. It feels great. That's your walking around cash. It is absolutely my taxi cash. And I'm I'm pretty sure now that we're two movies in the Tom Cruise controversy, such as it was, has died down. Uh, it's died down a little bit, but yeah. it's, it's still there. And. Um, you know, I'm sympathetic to the readers. I know what they're saying. But on the other hand, if they don't like the movie, then fine, don't go. Read the book instead. Let's say you get to the end of whatever the last book's going to be. Die Lonely, whatever it is. Let's say you stick to your original ending where Reacher, staggered, bloody, goes into a motel. Is he going to be very Reacher in that moment and negotiate a price with the uh, the cashier behind the desk <laughs> Yeah, he while would- he's bleeding to death? He's going to say, look, I've paid for this room and I'm not going to be able to occupy it all night, so I want, to, I want at least 50% off. <laughs> On the other hand, you are going to have to clean up my corpse afterwards, so maybe but I should I be doubling the price. Yeah, but that's routine for those motels, isn't it? <laughs> well, let's hope it never comes to that. Lee Child, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much indeed. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, so that was Lee Child. Uh, and now let's talk about the week's releases. Quite a lot out this week. We've only really got time to talk about two in depth. Let's start with the first one. The reason why I've been banging on about Billie Jean King, <laughs> right from the off, for anyone who's been baffled, it is, of course, Battle of the Sexist, which stars uh, Emma Stone as Billie Jean King and Steve Carell as Bobby Riggs. And this is from the same uh, directing team behind Little Miss Sunshine, isn't it? Yeah, Jonathan Dre- Dayton and Valerie Farris. Correct. Um, Just testing. Just testing you, Sure, Helen. thanks. Just making sure you're paying attention. Thanks, Because Chris. sometimes I just switch off during these things. Uh-huh. 
Like, anyway. no, I have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> so, uh, Battle of the Sexes is about the real-life tennis match that did take place between Billie Jean King, played here by Emma Stone, and Bobby Riggs, Steve Carell. Um, but that is, like, about... 10% of what this film actually is. I mean, certainly the film is about the build-up and, and that eventual match, but it is a tiny percentage of the total because it is about the whole, the wider context and what was going on in both characters' lives. Um, Billie Jean King had was the victim, we were talking about sexism, was the victim of massive sexism from the uh, male-dominated International Tennis Federation at the time. She'd mm-hmm. actually broken away and been one of the founder members of the Women's Tennis Association um, mm-hmm. because women were being offered, I think, an eighth of the prize money that was give, being given to the men at the same time. Um, so wow. she'd, she'd broken away. She was a huge star in the tennis world. She'd recruited other stars. Um, they played on the Virginia Slims tour on their own, and it's about the pressures of that that that, that put on her as a sort of a, a front front woman, really, for this yep. for this entire endeavour. Um, that battle for equality that she was very much at the, at the forefront of, uh, and also the fact that in her personal life at the time she was married um, to a man that she loved and who loved her, but she was also struggling with her sexuality, and she was beginning the the long process of coming out. So. So she falls in love with Andrea Riseborough's uh, hairdresser in this, Marilyn, uh, who's a woman called Marilyn, and that is just throwing everything up in the air. And of course, she has to think about the potential public relations, you know, yep. effects of that as well. So as well as the personal dilemma, there's the sort of public dilemma. It's a horrendous, horrendously difficult time for her, and I think Emma Stone captures that really, really well. Um, and then Steve Carell's Bobby Riggs as well. He's a uh, He's a, a former champ at this point. He was past his best. He knew it. Everybody knew it. Um, he was gambling for money. His wife was throwing him out for gambling for money. And um, it was he was kind of desperate for a, for a win and for another moment in the spotlight. And to, you know, there may have been an element of misogyny in it, but to be honest, it's kind of downplayed here. It's more played up as the showman aspect and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the absolute need to be back at the centre of attention. Nowadays, he'd be on Celebrity Big Brother or he'd be in the jungle. He would absolutely be. And and I think if, if that had, you know, existed as an outlook for him at the time, I think, you know, he'd be better off. Um, and it builds up to the match. And I think they very sensibly don't have too much of the stars playing tennis because that is always a pretty bad idea. It never looks right on film. I don't know why, but it really doesn't. Um, but the, the the match is sort of the, you know, it's it's what we're all going to. You know that's coming, but everything else around it is is the real meat and the point of the film. I think it's the, it's the personal dilemma that's far more interesting. So, yeah, we give this four stars. It's funny. It's much more surprising and entertaining than you think it's going to be and sadly it's still pretty relevant so Helen this thing uh, was an early Oscar frontrunner certainly at the beginning of the year mm. and it seems to fade us somewhat yeah I think it's not your typical biopic I think that's why I think it, it's it's first of all you know f- not quite evenly on the two people so there's more on, on Billie Jean King but it's mm-hmm. it's fairly even handed between them and um, and it's just a little bit more complicated there's no easy you know triumph over adversity through line it's it's a lot more subtle than that which I think is really good comedy drama comedy drama Dramedy, yes comma. Oh, I don't like the word but yes it's it's both of those things it's a better word because the other combination is coma and nobody wants those that's true yeah bad things so dramedy yeah. we like but yeah but four we stars. like this but four we stars like we like four this stars yes. we just don't like the word dramedy for battle of the sexes am I offered to play Billie Jean King a tennis stance as long again way, as, as long she... as virtue tennis uh huh all right, on the PlayStation. No, she'd still win. Yeah, she probably would. Up next, we have Suburbicon, 
which is another all-star jamboree. It is directed by George Clooney. It is from a script, an old script, admittedly, uh, from the 1980s by the Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan Coen, which Clooney dusted off and gave uh, a bit of polish with his producing and writing partner, Grant Hesloff. And stars Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, Julianne Moore, Oscar Isaac. And yeah, what do we make of this one, Helen? Do you know what? I think I was a little bit more up on it than other people, but it is Mm. definitely a weird sort of a film. I I think I remember an early trailer that made it look very much like it was primarily about the arrival of an African-American family into a white suburb um, and a sort of civil rights... In the 1950s. In the late 1950s, early 1960s, 1960s, yeah. Um, But... But actually, the film we get is completely different to that. It is a black comedy. It's seen largely through the eyes of um, uh, Matt Damon's character's son, uh, Nicky, who's played by Noah Jupe, who's also in A Quiet yep. Place, if you saw that trailer this week. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, he's basically shaken from bed one night, taken downstairs by intruders. Um, his dad tells him to just go along with them, don't cause any trouble, let's all get out of this alive. And these intruders tie them all up, his uh-huh. his dad, his mum, her twin sister, both played by Julianne Moore. Um, which is why I said it twice. Which is why you said it twice, yes. A bit weird. And, um, and sadly, his mother does not survive the night. What? No, so, yes, come on. I know, and so it becomes, you know... A question certainly for young Nicky of, you know, what happened and how does he deal with it in this this new circumstance. And there's lots of uh, of double crossing and murder and manipulation and all sorts of intrigue. And uh, it looks beautiful. It does look gorgeous, yeah. Really, really nicely shot. Mm -hmm. Really nicely played. Yeah. But all a bit underwhelming. It's just super weird. It does feel a little bit like Cohen's karaoke. And I like the Cohen's enough that I'll listen to their karaoke, you know, but it is, it, it doesn't, Maybe it just maybe it should be more Clooney. Maybe that would actually make it work better. It feels so much like him riffing on his good friends, yeah, um, and not enough like his own down stuff. To, uh, down to some of the Cohen's tropes, yeah, very much. So. Uh, fat man screaming in pain, that sort of thing. It's a yeah, it's a really interesting film. I didn't much, I didn't much dislike it, but I didn't like it either. I, I we gave it two stars, and I I do agree with that. And it also has been getting a bit of a, a drubbing critically all over. But there are things I liked about it. The problem is it's rather muddied and unfocused. And as you say, the early trailer, and in fact, the first five minutes of the film make you think you're going to get something completely different. The the thread with the African-American family coming into this very, very white neighbourhood in the 1950s initially is played for laughs. So you have this very jaunty uh, sequence of this, this postman. He goes up to the house and there's this African-American lady and he goes, excuse me, ma'am, can I speak to the, 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 the lady of the house? And she goes, I am the lady of the house. And then in a really over-the-top, very yeah. Cohen way, he goes, yeah. uh, and starts backing away. And you think, okay, this is going to be a weird, but, you know, darkly comedic, slightly OTT, very Cohen-y story about race relations and how it's all going to collide and it's yeah. going to set the plot in motion. And then that, movie kind of stops and becomes another weird just a weird subplot where everyone in this neighborhood just loses their shit about black people and starts they start riding outside the house and they start picketing the house and the family take it very very stoically but aren't really aren't given any insight into them as characters i'm not even sure the dad has any lines yeah i think it's it's a weird i think that I, I get what they're trying to do with that there's an interesting commentary involved in that i just don't think it works and meanwhile, the Matt Damon story is barreling ahead on its own and is all a bit been there, seen that, done that, bought the T-shirt. 
Uh, I would say that well performed again. Oscar mm. Isaac is a lot of fun when he breezes into the film as an insurance investigator. And, you know, it's all fine. It's totally fine. But uh, if you want a, a, a really good Coen Brothers movie, go and see a Coen Brothers movie. There's something about Clooney as a director that you know, he, he's okay. But very rarely does he go, does he put it over the top. Good night and good luck, though. Remember, remember that. That's yeah, bloody fine. great. Yeah. You're fine. You're, Wait, you're, no, no, you're, you're fine. Wait, oh, these are compliments. Damn it. And also out this week, there's a whole slew of releases out this week. We sadly don't have time to really get into. Daddy's Home 2. Jimbo, you haven't seen this, but you know someone who has. Our very own John Nugent has seen Daddy's Home to him, and uh, he, uh, he... The doctors expect a full recovery. In, indeed. He, we haven't seen him since. No, he did, and he reviewed it, and I believe he said something along the lines of, twice the dads, half the fun. Wow. And he bestowed, it, it bestowed upon that film our highest honour of a single star. A single star? A single star. Which, wow. when they give to, to soldiers in battle, is a really good thing. In this case, not so much. Though uh, I believe the experience of watching it feels much the same. Uh, uh, so one star. One, one star, star for Daddy's one Home star. 2. Not Daddy's Home 2 stars, but Daddy's Home 1 star. The first film's absolute bilge, so that's not a surprise. Uh, what else do we have out this week? We have Beach Rats, uh, directed by Eliza Hittman, starring Harris Dickinson. Uh, I believe we gave this one four stars. Yes, our very own Nick DeSemlin gave Nick that DeSemlin four gave stars, four which is stars. four times as many stars as Daddy's Home 2. <laughs> so it's four times better yeah. than Daddy's Home 2. That's right. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by someone. Not entirely sure who. I had it written down somewhere, but I've forgotten it. That's but a super good anecdote, thanks, Really Chris. good people. Top. Or person. Top people. Yeah, probably. Oh, God, I hope we got someone. I'm pretty sure we do. That could be embarrassing. Anyway, until the auspicious occasion, uh, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from James. Goodbye. Is Billie Jean King here yet? No. No? She's no, not. she's still safely at home, Chris. Phew. I think you I've can dodged, play her. I think I've dodged a bullet there. She's in her 70s now, right? Gotta be? Gotta be. She's still kicking my ass. Yeah. I can't even serve over arm. <laughs> no, I really want to see you play her. I'm so bad at tennis. Why have I done this? Anyway, and it's also goodbye from me. I am off to try and get rid of this cold. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but I have a cold. Uh, so if I'm not around next week, it's because I've died. Uh, but thanks for listening see you next time bye thank god you're not being a drama queen about it though I feel the pain in my core Helen bye bye